For our time then tonight, we wish to return to Amos chapter 8, and this, that will be the ch chapter that we will focus on for our meditation tonight. The title I want to give to the meditation is, It's All Over. It's All Over. The prophet Amos in this chapter tells the people of Israel why and how God's judgment was going to fall upon them. And we do believe, being the word of God, that his message is relevant for the 21st century church of today. And what we have here is Amos's fourth vision. On previous occasions, we looked at his last three visions found in chapter 7. But here we have a, a fresh vision. And it begins when he is shown a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord says, what are you seeing? What's before you? Well, it's not a very difficult question. And Amos answers clearly, it's a basket of summer fruit. Now, we might think, well, that's a good sign, a positive sign. Here we have a basket full of ripe summer fruit, colorful. It's very often this kind of picture is associated with people who are in hospital and they're covering. And you might go and visit them and you would take some fruit, a basket of fruit with you. And therefore, at the beginning here, we have a kind of uh, delightful picture, but the reality is somewhat different. This might be appropriate for a time when we might consider when the Jews would have one of their annual feasts. They would have a, what we would call today a harvest Thanksgiving service. Well, for them, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was held at the end of the year when they would give thanks to God for the harvest. And this would happen roughly around, somewhere around the time of our September and October, they would have this Feast of Tabernacles. But it was more than simply, it was more than simply a harvest Thanksgiving because they would gather in booths and they would have branches and leaves. And as they were at the temple, they would stay in these booths and it would remind them of the time when they were in the desert and as they wandered for 40 years and how God looked after them and provided for them during their time in the desert. But also not long after the Feast of Tabernacles, their harvest Thanksgiving, there was the Day of Atonement. So it was a very much a period of time when they would thank God for the goodness of the year, for the harvest that had been brought in, and they would remind themselves of how their ancestors had lived before and how God had provided for them during the time in the wilderness. And the Day of Atonement would remind them that God would have that day when he would forgive their sins. And this is maybe the kind of picture that we have here when we look, what do you see, a basket of summer fruit? It might remind you of the goodness of God and his provision for his people. But that's not what we find here at all. It's a completely different picture altogether. 
And this chapter really highlights three things for us, three brief things it highlights. First of all, the opening verses remind us that the end is coming. The end of Israel is coming. And the next verses, principally from verses four to six, what do we have? We have the why. Why is the end coming? And there's always reasons. God does nothing without reasons. And therefore, in these verses, we have the reason why the end of Israel is coming. And finally, in the bulk of the chapter, maybe from verses 7 to 14, we have the third thing that we find in this chapter. How the end is coming. How the end of Israel is coming about. And the signs, the clear signs that are seen in this prophecy about the end of Israel can be seen in our own society today. Well, seeking the Lord's blessing, we want to meditate upon these three things as we find them in this chapter this evening. First of all, then, the end is coming. Oh, the end is coming. Yes, the end is coming. Verses 1 to 3. This basket here, what does it depict? Well, quite clearly, Israel has only an appearance of health. Her health, her spiritual health, her spiritual vitality is only skin deep. It's only on the exterior. It's all false. It's not real. It's not permanent. It's not deep. It's not what it should be. In fact, it's a mask. And the fact is, here we have summer fruit. And what it depicts is Israel is ripe for judgment. That's what it's depicting. Not that Israel's bright and prosperous and flourishing in a spiritual sense. No, what it's telling us is that Israel is right for judgment. What seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the middle of verse two, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. It couldn't be much clearer. He's not going to overlook it. He has sent prophets. Amos is one of them. He has been reminding them of their sins, and we will see some of these sins as we go through this chapter. He has been reminding them time and time again throughout decades, yet they have not listened, they have not responded, they have not changed their pa pattern, they have not changed their lifestyle. Nothing has changed. God has spoken, and they have remained completely and utterly unchanged. They are fixed in their sins, and I will not again pass by them anymore. We have been reminding ourselves, and we do need to keep reminding ourselves, friends, this message in the book of Amos is not directed to the heathen roundabout, and there were plenty of heathen roundabout. They were surrounded by heathen, but he is speaking to the church of his day. And if we believe the word of God to be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, if we believe it's living, if we believe it's active, then it speaks to us today. It speaks to us to here tonight in Partick. And it asks, asks the question, what about your profession? What about it? Is there any depth in it whatsoever? Are you like this painted here 
bowl of fruit. It looks lovely, but it doesn't meet the requirements of God. And God is the one who will judge. He can discern. The minister can't, office bearers can't, others can't. Friends, we have to remind ourselves that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't know your own heart. You don't. But God does. And these people here, again we'll touch on it, these people here had religion up to their necks. Yet, they were like plastic flowers or plastic fruit. No vitality, no life, no substance, nothing real. It was all a show. It was all a sham. And verse 3 tells us what's going to happen. The songs of the temple. Now we're not to assume for one minute that they had a temple. They were in the northern kingdom. They had their various places in Dan and Bathsheba where they went to worship, but they didn't have the temple. The temple was in the south. The temple was in Judah. But to them, to them it was the place of worship. To them it was a temple. It wasn't the real temple. It was to their in their sense and in their mind, it was a temple. And what God is saying to them, the songs that they gather there and sing in their places of worship shall be howlings in that day. They shall become funeral dirges in that day. Such is God's wrath that's going to be poured about, uh, out upon God's people on that terrible and awesome day. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. It's going to be an awesome thing. Here's, here they are gathered in a place where they say they were worshiping God. And destruction is going to come upon them. Death is going to be all around them. They're going to see this in silence. It's going to be overwhelming. That's what's coming upon the people of Israel. The end is coming. Well, do we believe that we can see parallels in the church? And when I use the word church, I don't confine it to this particular congregation, but the church in general? Or can we open it up? Can we look at our nation? Can we see the evident signs that things are not great in our nation? Now we know that in Old Testament times that the church and nation were one. That's not the same today, but the principles can easily be extracted from what we find here and applied to our particular situation. And surely we have to hold our hands up and say, well, things are not great in the professing Christian church. Now, we're not here to 
cause anyone to be despondent and to be despairing, but we look at things as they really are. We like to be level-headed. We like to examine the facts, and we're not going to puff things up when there is nothing to puff up. We face things as they really are, and we have to come to the conclusion that the church is far from perfect. <coughs> and as we look at the church, if it's far from perfect, well, it's obvious then that the world, the state, our country cannot be any better because the world or the state or our nation will never rise above the spiritual temperature of the church. Indeed, the church sets the spiritual temperature. And if the church is low, the nation must be low. And that's what we find today. And it might not be an extreme thing to say, but, or maybe it is an extreme thing to say, but surely the writings on the wall for our nation, at least, the things that are happening, surely God is indeed is judging us and there may well be more judgment to follow. Is it all over? Well, it certainly was for Israel. And that's what he's telling them. The end indeed is coming. Secondly, why the end is coming. And really from verses 4 to 6 there, or maybe even extended a wee bit, but from these verses he begins to highlight and to open up and explain why this is happening. What does he do? He spotlights their sin. He spotlights their sin. Hear this, verse 4, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the pool of the land to fail. What is this verse telling us? Well, it's telling us here that Israel's oppression of the poor will result in present joy. Yes, they will get joy when they oppress the poor, but it's all going to change. It's going to be turned into mourning because this is something that God hates. He hates the rich oppressing the poor or the powerful like the judges and those who have power and influence ruling and overruling the poor for their own ends and means. Now we're not to suppose for one moment that the poor were virtuous. We're not to think that they were perfect. Far from it. There's no virtue in poverty itself. And the likelihood is that the poor people were sinful as well as the, the rich and the powerful and the influential. They were all sinful. But God hates when the poor are oppressed and the rich make themselves rich on account of oppressing the poor. Again, I really don't need to highlight this or to give you any examples. We can see that in our society today. And the rich people and the powerful people and the politicians and those who are the movers and shakers of society might think that they can get away with this kind of treatment. But no, the God of all the earth, the judge of all the earth, he will take them to task because this is something that he hates. The poor, the fatherless, and the widows, 
are people that the Lord watches over. And they might not be virtuous themselves, but nevertheless, that's not an excuse for those who have influence over them to suppress them and to make capital from them. This is one sin that he found. And verse 4 highlights that. But there's another sin. And it's a sin that's more maybe noticeable and applicable to ourselves. Verse 5. When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balance by deceit. Well, there are at least two sins that are highlighted here. We have, first of all, inward Sabbath desecration. These people were at the Sabbath. They kept the Sabbath. But as they were keeping the Sabbath, what was their minds on? When is the Sabbath going to be over? When does the sun go down? When does the Sabbath end that we can sell corn, that we may set forth wheat? This is all that their minds were upon. The Sabbath was a, a drudgery day for them. It was a day when they were forced not to be involved in commercial activity. But as they were attending the means of grace and as they were observing the Sabbath, their mind wasn't on the Sabbath. They weren't thinking about the great God of heaven who made heaven and earth and that one who promised that the Messiah would come. They weren't concerned about that at all. They weren't concerned about the word of God or the glory of God or worshiping God. No, their mind was on earthly upon spiritual things. Their God was their belly. Their God was their wallet. That's what was moving them and motivating them. Yet, outwardly, as far as the eye could see, as far as others could see, they were observing the Sabbath. We can hide nothing from God, my friends, nothing. You can easily hide from the minister. You can easily hide from office bearers and you can easily hide from others but you cannot hide from God. Impossible. He sees into your hearts. He knows your thoughts. He can weigh your intentions. There they were, singing the Psalms. There they were, reading the scriptures. And their minds were on falsifying their balances. What does it say? Making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balance by deceit. It was all for their financial gain and their, for their worldly aggrandizement. That's what they were all about. Something that the Lord hates, he detests. False weights, false balances. It even goes on and <clears throat> sell the refuge of the wheat. They were to sell the choice wheat, the best of the wheat. 
but they would put the chaff in with the wheat and they would sell that off to the poor again in order that they might increase their money so that their wallets would be full. This is why the end was coming because God found them a professing people but a sinful people. It's a very solemn thing, friends. You know, here, they waited until the Sabbath was over. Oh, they longed for it. They wished it would finish, but they at least did wait for it. What about ourselves? The service is over. We go to our homes. What are we engaged in? What do we do? Some places it's not uncommon for people to go out of the church after a, a worship service into the shop, buy a paper, get some rolls, get some lunch, maybe go off to a, a restaurant, have a meal on the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. These people there, God found fault with them, but at least, at least, they waited until the Sabbath was over. It's a sobering thought, friends. Well, the Lord was telling them, this is why he is going to end it. Because of their sins. Now, these sins may not be relevant to ourselves, but God knows our sins. God knows them. These are sins that were dominant in Amos' time among the people of Israel. Maybe we've got other sins. And maybe, therefore, because our sins are not highlighted here, well, we're okay. No, friends, that's not the case. No, the Lord knows, the Lord takes notice. Their minds were set on their next swindle. When we're in the house of God and when we've got the day of the Sabbath day, this day that he has given to us, this day that is for ultimately for our own good because we are Creatures of the dust, we're not made to continually work, 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 day and night, seven days a week. God in his grace and in his mercy has given us this day whereby we can leave the lawful and legitimate things of the other days and lay them aside. And whereby we might consider our eternal destiny, consider spiritual, eternal things. See how our soul is doing before God. Well, that's why he was going to visit in terrible judgment because of their sins and they did not and would not repent. 
Well, finally, thirdly, how the end is coming. And we do believe that the remainder of this chapter would outline some indicators to them that their society was collapsing. What are these indicators? Well, we might start maybe at verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of heeding the words of the Lord. Now, to some people, and to some people in Amos's day, they would say, hallelujah, we don't want to hear the word of the Lord. We don't want people like Amos to come and tell us our sins. We want people like Amaziah, the priest whom we spoke about two weeks ago. We want people like him. We don't want the prophet from Judah to come and tell us the word of the Lord. And if there's a famine of the word of the Lord, then we're happy. And maybe that's the way that we find ourselves in our nation today. People don't want to hear the authentic word of God. They don't want to hear it read. They don't want to hear it proclaimed. They don't want to hear it applied. And to them, if a famine of the word of God came, they would be delighted. And maybe we have arrived at that point to some extent. How many pulpits are empty? How many ministers, real ministers are are in pulpits and how many godly men are beginning their training or are in their training for the the ministry of the word of god there are few and in some sense this has happened to us already there's a famine of the word of god we don't heed it much and people have to go from here to there to find it they can't go into any church very often they will not hear the word of God. It may be a Christian church on the outside, but it's not Christian inside. Why? Because the word of God is not proclaimed. And it's not applied. You don't hear the gospel. You don't hear you must be born again. You don't hear these things. Basically what you hear is you're all right. Do your best. And God will be merciful. That's no gospel at all. Well, we could go on about that. But enough has been said. Generally, it is fair to say that most people would be delighted if there was no preaching of God's word, if there truly was a famine of hearing and a famine of hearers. But, and here's the but, friends, these people who don't want to hear the word of God are the same ones who are wondering what is happening to society. They're wondering what is happening to our society. And there are many people today in our land who are wondering what is happening to the places that we live in? What is happening to our generation? What is happening in the world? They want to hunker back into what it was like 40 years ago or 80 years ago. And they want to have these kind of times today. And basically what they are saying, although they will not articulate it because they don't realize it, they want the fruit of Christianity, but they don't want the root of Christianity. 
They don't want it. But they want all the things that flow from Christianity. Because society recognizes that when God's people are there in that society, that society is blessed. When God's people and God's word are there, then society is orderly. Society is decent. And life is worth living in that kind of society. And the Bible would teach us that is so. Abraham, the father of the faithful, what did he do? God told him what he was going to do for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we can use this term, he got God down to 10 righteous persons. If there were 10 righteous persons, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? He would, but there was none. None. But Abraham interceded. Abraham had influence with God, the father of the faithful. You could go on. Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. And when he went into the prison, the prison keeper left everything in the hands of Joseph. Why? Because he was a man of God and he had an influence there. And it was an influence for good. And that is always the way, friends, because human society owes much to God's word and to God's people. And when there's, a, when there's a famine of the hearing of God's word, it will affect society. And people who like the normality of society and they like the fruits that Christianity brings suddenly wake up one day and say, things have changed. Why have things changed? Things have changed because the word of God is not heard and the people of God are not there. And this is what we find. And this is what we find here. Verse 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. What do we find in our day and generation? People are going everywhere but to the house of God. Everywhere but to the Bible. They know there's something missing but they will not go to the Bible itself. They will not go to God's word. They will consult any, any and every counselor, every cult, a multitude of people they will call upon, but they will not go to the book of God. And this is what happened here. Does it not say, verse 12, from north even to east, you notice they didn't go to the south. They didn't go to the south. The south is where Judah was. The south was where the worship of God was. The south was where the temple was. There was a famine, but they wouldn't go to the source where the famine could be eased. And that's what we find in our own society today. We have the hallmarks and the marks of collapse all around us. What happens when there's problems? What happens when there's something comes up and the government wants to do something about it? 
What do they do? They introduce new laws. New laws. When we need to get back to the law of God. We need to exercise the Ten Commandments. That's what we need. Instead, they will introduce more legislation or they will throw money onto whatever it is. And that's their way of dealing with it. They are like these people there. They're running to and fro. That's what's happening in our own society. In our own day. I'm not making this up. You can see it yourselves. You don't have to be bright to realize this. This is what's happening all over us. Our society is collapsing. And what does it say here too, verse 13? In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. Society, when it abandons God, when there's a famine of the word of God, what happens? Well, society collapses. Who in many ways bears the brunt of that collapse? It's the young. It's the young, the young, the rising generation whom we hope when they grow up will live a full and active part in society and they will play their part and they will be leaders, they will be movers, they will be shakers when they grow up. But what's happening to them? They are being stunted in their very growth. In the time when they should be forming their opinions and when they should be building for the future, what's happening with them? The fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. They're looking for something. What's happening? They're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're being fed with absolute, utter nonsense. They go to school. What happens? They can be told that a boy can become a girl, and so on. I don't need to tell you, you know it, you hear it the same as I do. And this has a profound effect upon the young people, the young people that we will ultimately depend upon. Faint for thirst. I don't want to go on about this, but I'd say this to you. Do we not hear so much today about mental health problems in young people? You hear it, I hear it. I'm not a psychologist, never claimed to be. Is this not a sign of the times, a sign of what's happening in our society? The people who should be growing up, maturing, blossoming, and becoming leaders and shakers, what's happening to them? They've got mental health problems. The fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. These were the indicators in their society that it was about to collapse, that the judgment of God was to descend upon them It's exactly the same today. 
And there's another indicator here. Before I close, verse 14. They that swear by the sins of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth. What's that all about? Well, that's all about false religion. That's what it's about. These people here in the society, we're going to carry on doing what we did at the shrines. And what's going to happen? Even they shall fall and never rise up again. God is going to judge their false religion. Are we not awash with false religion today? Do we not see it all around us? Did you hear that there's a, I don't know if it's a party or a group or whatever, but there is a, a movement among Muslims. And they're going to set up candidates where they have a large Muslim population, principally in England, but not exclusively. And they're going to fight basically on a Islamic platform for the next general election. And they're going to be pushing the Islamic agenda. And unless something divine happens, we will have MPs sitting in Westminster who will be out and out to push the Islamic cause. Now you might say, well, that's a bit alarmist. I don't think so. It's happening. It's on our doorstep. False religions there. It's all part of the collapsing society. God said to these people, it's all over. Is it all over for us? Was it not Issachar? Was it not said of him? He could discern the times. We need to discern the times. It's all over. Amen. May God bless his word to us.